motion, movement, and art. Those are the three things that Drew Tates brings us on this episode of The Cultured Podcast. Welcome to The Cultured Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Corey, and together we'll journey into the unknown reaches of the art world. Hello, my babies. You spin me right around, baby, right around like a record, baby. Ricker, 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 ricker. That moment fully is Drew Tate's fault. You can blame him for it because everything he does spins me right around. He does yo-yo, performs yo-yo, is a master of yo-yo. And also his art form that we're talking about today, among others, so stay tuned, is creating these graphics that he puts on vinyl records that when they spin, create actual motion. So they become animated graphics due to the spinning of the vinyl record. Yeah, it is just as cool, if not cooler, than it sounds. So you're definitely going to need to check out his art as we're talking. Highly recommend it. His name is Drew Tate, so find him on Instagram so that you can see what we're talking about and let it come to life as we're having this conversation. But first, Happy New Year! Oh my God! I'll be honest with you, I'm recording this in 2020. So this is like my way of time traveling. (laughs) This moment, this inspiration is time traveled. What is even happening in January 2021? I don't know. I can't even fathom that back over here in 2020. Like, where I'm sitting, the world might be over, but it's not. I know it's not because we have overcome and we have continued on as a species in way harder times, I hope. But truly, wherever you're sitting right now in 2021, Happy New Year. Thank you for continuing to be on this cultured journey with me. No matter what is happening, let me tell you something. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay in one form or another. And that is not toxic positivity, my friends. That is reality. We always pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off and continue. And of course, it is our own choice to not do that and to wallow in despair and to sink into despair and to relent and to succumb. But you know what we're not going to do? any of those things. We are the cultured crew. We find beauty and inspiration in everything. And let me tell you, everything has a silver lining to rust. And yes, for those who are asking, I am a natural optimist, but I am a realistic optimist. That's that Virgo brain. Even the worst things can lead to positive things. Truly. I mean, I see those connections and I see those all around us. And listen, Everything that has happened in 2020 has needed to happen. We needed to stop ignoring everything that has been accumulating for thousands of years. This is not a surprise. The warning signs have been there. And so now it's time for us to face this moment, to face what we have done over the past thousands of years so that we can actually heal it. You can't heal what you don't face, even in meditative practice, in energy healing, in therapy. The first thing is to face what you've done, what you fear, what you're afraid of, your traumas, what you're avoiding. You have to face it in order to overcome it. That's my tangential way of saying 
I see a silver lining in everything that's happened. It's been hard. It's been hard AF. Okay, like it's not been easy for me either. But here we are. It is 2021 where you are. (laughs) But wherever you are, I hope you're doing okay. And I hope that even if you weren't doing okay, which is okay, that this episode makes you feel better. And that my voice and our relationship and the Cultured Podcast at least adds a tiny little glimmer of joy to your day. I love you. Happy New Year. We gonna be okay. Let's do this. Let's talk to Drew. Let's spin. Hello, Drew. Welcome to the Cultured Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you today. I'm so excited. I am actually a new fan of yours. I started following you like pretty recently and I'm just absolutely in awe of your creativity, just the worlds that you bring to life and also like this nostalgia that you play with. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, why don't you just give us a level set moment and tell us who you are and what your art form is? Well, well, thank you for the kind words. Um, My name is Drew Tates. I am a graphic designer slash artist slash animator, and I have this really awesome niche, awesome for me at least, which is basically animated records. It's actually the very first animation format or motion picture format at all, which is a zoetrope, and applies it to a vinyl record. So when you watch it through your camera phone, you can see this little uh, one-second cartoon loop, and it gets really trippy really quick. Oh, yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I just love any art form that pulls me out of the humdrum every day. You know, this reality, which is actually pretty trippy if we pull ourselves far back enough, like this reality we live in that we take for very normal and for granted. But anything that pulls me out of the things that I'm used to and reminds me of the diversity of experiences that we can have. And I love a psychedelic and it reminds me of psychedelics. So Mm-hmm. that makes me happy. So so your art brings a lot of joy, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's that's what a lot of people love about uh, collecting records. Yeah. Because, you know, it's the nature of the hunt. You're looking for treasure. When you find that, you know, beautiful thing that you love, you put it on the turntable and then you're locked in for, you know, 15 to 30 minutes. Mm. You're going to experience that record. Laying on the floor, <laughs> taking it in. Yeah. If I can add another layer to that, I'm very happy. And it's it's very nice to be able personally to connect a visual to that uh, auditory and sensory experience I've always been after. With some artists that, that come on the show, I kind of skip the introductory, how did you get into this? But with you, I feel like that is a necessary because this is not just something like you... Well, maybe it is something you stumble into. Maybe that's the only way to get into it. <laughs> but I want to understand like your journey, um, where you started as an artist, and how it brought you to where you are today. No, you're totally right. It is a super weird niche, and it is actually kind of the uh, the latest in a long series of weird niches. <laughs> I had a pretty pretty normal artistic upbringing. I went to undergrad for graphic design, which is great. I worked a little bit as a graphic designer, but I also kind of had the secret double life as a professional yo-yoer, <laughs> which, as I said, long series of weird niches. Right. <laughs> but, it, but it was great because it's like, you know, 
you don't know too many professional yo-yoers, so I automatically had this party trick. You're my first professional yo-yo friend. <laughs> yeah, so I could be terrible, and I would still probably be the best you had ever seen. <laughs> so as a young artist, that's good for giving you confidence. Yeah. And it was good because it kind of gave me experience in a very small pond to try out weird art stuff. And it also made me some lifelong friends, like, you know, I have a, a couch to crash on in Osaka if I need to. So <laughs> That's amazing. Shout out to all the weird, tiny nerd groups around the world <laughs> making that kind of stuff happen. Shout out. But as you can imagine, that's not really a uh, solid career move. So I did a lot of video editing and stuff, which is great. But all in the background, I was trying to work on these weird little art ideas I had. And at one point, one of my professional yo-yo friends, he won the World Yo-Yo Contest. And he was like, hey, man, I got like 3,000 bucks. What are we going to do with this? Like, I want to do something cool. I'm like, okay, cool. Weird that you trust me with that. But yeah, let's <laughs> buy a laser cutter. Because at the time, I was like, you know, it wasn't new technology, but it was the first time that she could get one for 3000 bucks, And I was like, yeah, I want to make toys with lasers. Let's figure that out. Oh, wow. So it yeah, was like, so, it was like what 3D printing became, which was like, yeah. I don't really know how to use this, but I know I'm going to do something cool with it. Yeah, a, li a little bit. And I'm, I'm taking the very long way there. So thank you for indulging me on the story. But basically, at some point, he had to move to Prague. He had this laser and was like, do you want to babysit the laser for me? And I'm like, Ex excuse me, to do what? You know, I'm not going to ever have a chance to have a beam of focused light to just make weird stuff with ever again. So yeah, I don't know exactly where I'm going to put it in my apartment, but yeah, let's figure that out. And I was just trying to make the most of this weird new tool, do everything I could with it. And at some point I was like, oh, it would be so awesome if I just like took a film strip or like a movie reel and I exported all the frames as like halftone dot laser engraves. And then I could have like a wood movie. And in my head, it looked so cool. And it took so long to burn it and to film it and get it lined up. And then when I watched it, it looked terrible. <laughs> it just looked like a cheesy Photoshop filter on top of like a bad VHS copy. Oh my God. And I was so blown, but I was like, I'm not going to give up on the idea of making like a wooden animation. I want to, you know, I have this tool. What can I do with it? So I was looking at weird, like old school analog animation, stuff that like actually predates, you know, film reels and projectors and all that. And it turns out the very first motion picture format, even before like a flip book, which always blows my mind because I mean, I made flip books in my algebra textbook, just flipping the pages, making stickmen move. That's so intuitive. Yeah. But it turns out some guy in the 1800s was like, okay, no, actually what I'm going to do, I'm going to put 16 images around a wheel I'm going to put a little carousel on the edge so when you spin it, it flickers and you see it moving. How he did that, I have no clue. That is very, very many generations of galaxy brain beyond me, but thank you, uh, Edward Weibridge. Is this that like, um, history of film thing we've all seen with the horse? Yeah, yeah, it actually is. It's the same dude, Edward Mybridge. Oh, um, yeah. There's a little bit of, uh, I don't want to you know, flatten out photo history too much. But yeah, he he was the first one who did the the running horse that you were talking about. Oh my God. Yeah, Edward Mybridge came up with all these really cool Victorian things, along with a lot of other photo innovators and inventors. And also like pretty like amazing names. We don't name as creatively as we use. A zoetrope? Like that's a dope name. To that point, there was this weird thing where it was like, you know, 
the Victorian age, and these are basically parlor tricks, and they want to make them sound like really scientific slash kind of like foreign and exciting. Yeah. So they're like the zoetrope, the praxinoscope, the phenakistoscope, <laughs> and they're all basically the same thing. It's fine, though. They're all cool names. Super cool. Okay, so you started experimenting. Yeah, so after looking into how they did it back then, I thought, well, I don't know how to build a carousel, but I know how to lay things out in a circle, engrave it on a disc, and then I have a record player, and I could probably fake the uh, flicker with the shutter speed of a camera. Mm. And there are definitely like plenty of people who have figured this out before me. I'm by no means the first person to mm -hmm. make a record-mounted zoetrope, so... Shout out to Sculpture and DJ Food and uh, whoever it was that did the phonotrope, I forget. But lots of brilliant people. Mm -hmm. I mostly came to that after the fact. So I will give myself a little bit of credit for being dumb enough to brute force my way into the math. And just being <laughs> like, yeah, uh, 16 frames. Uh, I don't know. I can just play with the, the pitch slider until it speeds up enough to kind of look good on camera. And it did. I kind of lucked out on my first go, which is good because who knows what would have happened if I got it totally wrong. I was like, ah, this is dumb. I'm over it. But it's been four years of obsessive record spinning since then. So, And it sounds like, well, first of all, since we're doing shout outs, uh, shout out to Perseverance. And also, like, <laughs> I, I, we always talk about as artists or, or creatives, really, let's talk about creatives. Creatives often want to try a new art form or embark on a new endeavor. And I think what separates those who eventually turn that into a steady art form or even revenue stream, even a career um, with those who, who don't is giving up and expecting to be good at something right off the bat. I think we all suck at the things we've never done before. And it's a matter of like getting up and trying again and trying again. And then all of a sudden, one day you look back and you're good at something that you used to suck at. So shout out to your perseverance and to being okay with being bad at something at first and keeping it going. Yeah, I, I definitely think that kind of the uh, the stubborn willpower will always defeat the perfectionist. Yeah. So I, I have some friends who are so brilliant, but they're never quite ready to let an idea out into the world so they think about it mm. way too much. And it's it's great. I love them. And when they do release one piece of work a year, I love it. Mm. But compared to some of my friends who are just like possessed with this desire to create yeah. and they wake up in the morning and they write three punk songs and two and a half of them are bad. But by the end of the month, they have like a, an EP and you're like, oh my God, yeah, where do you find the energy? As you said, shout out to those <laughs> possessed to create. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> I think people who are not prone to those sort of like obsessive spells, they don't quite understand and they think it's unhealthy. And I think it's one of the most amazing sort of like ethereal and magical states to be in, you know, because you're like so connected to the work. You can't think about anything else. It definitely looks a little bit manic from the outside. For sure. <laughs> Specifically, when I was working on that Daedalus video, um, my wife likes to tell the story where... I had been up for 23 hours or something like that. Oh my God. I was sitting on the couch with my laptop and I was just like clicking frame by frame through this video of a dachshund playing the piano because I wanted to get the perfect loop so it looked like he was, you know, playing it on loop and it would sync with the music. But to her eyes, I'm just on the couch like a zombie, you know, like eyes super <laughs> bloodshot, just tapping, watching this dog on repeat. And she's like, that's, hey, babe, you okay? You need to... uh 
You've been writing down a lot of numbers in your notebooks and uh, watching dogs on repeat. Is this cool? <laughs> and it was cool. It worked out fine, right. but I understand, I understand her concern. Fine line <laughs> between Howard Hughes and uh, yeah. <laughs> Michelangelo. <laughs> yes, it's, it's right there, yeah. No, that's amazing. Six months in, because you were hyperspeed through the obsessive period of like repeating the action and getting better and better and better. You know, your work varies so much in the imagery that you pull on. The finished products feel constantly experimental to me. Like the energy of all of your work feels so playful and curious and inquisitive and experimental. It just feels like you're constantly like, I wonder what would happen if, <laughs> you know? And so mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about the energy, what it's like for you to start on a new project, including commission work. Maybe it's different between personal and commission. Yeah. Well, lately I have been very lucky as to be able to do a lot of commission work. And my schedule these days is mostly filled by that which wow, is great. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Like you said, you know, when I'm working for someone else, they probably, especially with like the album stuff, they usually come to me with, you know, an, at least an album cover in mind and maybe some other assets. And it is really, really cool how much they trust me mm -hmm. and are kind of like go nuts. I would say that is the overwhelming majority are just like, yeah, man, this is kind of the vibe we're going for, but whatever you want to do is cool which I, I love about working with other artists. Super awesome to have that collaborative spirit. Yeah. But at the same time, I am a graphic designer by trade. So I love a style sheet. Mm. Like I love saying, I love not having to pick a font because they have one established. I love when they have a color palette and I'm like, yep, this is what we need to do next. Oh that is awesome. Yes. That saves so much time. Yeah. I can build into the world and fill it out. So I don't feel like it's compromising my vision at all just feels like I get a really cool chance to kind of communicate with the music and the visuals that they've established and maybe add my voice just a little bit by complimenting what they've done. Which for me is, you know, I've, I think it's awesome just because I'm a big old music nerd. Yeah. What is your process of trying to find that, that vibe for each record? It kind of varies a little bit. I would say the ideal is when I get to work directly with the artists and they can actually be like, you know, these are kind of the songs we're working on. Uh, you know, my friend painted this for the cover or, you know, this is what the back cover is going to look like. Because that way I can actually talk to them and be like, okay, I think this piece is great. We could do this with this. You know, I don't try to get too technical with them or make them into a storyboard artist because the animation process is really weird. I don't want to overwhelm them with uh, too many options. But it is really cool to be like, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think of this sketch? And they can be like, yeah, that's awesome. Or what if we tried this? And that back and forth oftentimes leads to the most creative stuff. A lot of the times I'm joining kind of late on the project, especially with bigger bands. And in that case, usually their manager or the creative director for the project will send me a big packet of everything they have ready. And they're just like, whatever you got, as long as it fits this, we're good. Which is fun because I get to kind of sit back and sketch and it's a little bit more free. But I also like the more collaborative angle a bit myself. Mm. Do you ever just sit there and like get stoned and listen to the album over and over again? <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is... An incriminating practice, but certainly the uh, putting on album on loop is something that has followed me since teenage days. Yeah. So the fact that it can actually enter the artistic process as more than just a background meditative thing, but an actual active part of the brainstorming yeah. process, 
That is very cool. Oh, that's so well put. Okay, so let's bring this on back to you. You know, earlier you had said the animation process is super weird. So talk to oh, us yeah. about what's so weird about the animation process. I once again have a little bit of an easier time of it because a lot of times I'm starting from a good source material. Mm. I'm going to use just a recent example because I think it's one of the easiest ways for me to talk through it. This band Eels, they have an album coming out and for their seven inch singles, they had these kind of Hanna-Barbera style drawings of one was a baby in like a detective hat, like a Sherlock Holmes kind of suit. Mm. And the other one was a baby smoking a cigar. So Hanna-Barbera. Yeah, they were new illustrations, but they were very great and uh, true to the source material. So what I did was they gave me a really high-res copy of the illustration. I went into Photoshop and I, I separated all of it into the layers that I thought would move. So, you know, left leg, right leg, his hand with the magnifying glass, and then his head, and then his body was another piece. So I have this kind of paper doll cut out, mm. sort of. Um, from there... I can go into After Effects, which is another uh, Adobe program, uh, usually used for motion graphics. And I can really just, uh, it's really cool because it's basically just Photoshop with time. It really takes out the intimidation factor of animation. Oh, wow. Very cool. That's a great way to describe it. Oh, my God. I love computers. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, for real. I love being able to just say, I want this foot to be here at this time and then go back here by this time. So. Yep. It really is kind of just like making paper dolls play. And then there's like a few other things so you can make it move a little more realistically. In, the, in that case, that's a, that's a good example of what the before animation process looks like. Yeah. Then in terms of actually getting it onto the record, there's a little bit of math. Fortunately, I did it all four years ago, so I don't ever have to do math again. <laughs> uh, knock on wood. You take the, uh, the number of frames that will sync up with the RPM of the record. So for a 45, which these were, it's 40 frames. And uh, just to, not to drill down too much into the science, but it's like, since you're filming with a 30 frame a second shutter, it syncs up with a 45 RPM. So each of those 40 frames looks like it's held in place. Mm. Just creates the illusion of motion. Kind of like when you're looking out the window at a car on the highway and it looks like the wheels are spinning backwards. Yeah. Or if you've ever seen a helicopter on film that looks like the, the blades aren't rotating, yeah. and you're like, that can't be good. Can't be good. <laughs> Same basic principle. <laughs> Anyways, since I know how many frames I need, what I do from there is I export it into a film strip. So all the frames in a row. And uh, I use Photoshop to bend that into a circle. So I got this really awesome solid film strip loop. And when you spin that at 45 RPM, you get it. Um, there's definitely a lot of post-processing. It's not so much of a secret sauce. I'd be happy to share it, but it's so nerdy that it wouldn't even make sense. <laughs> but I get a lot of joy at the post-processing stage where I do things like uh, adding frames to make it look like it's spinning forward and backwards mm. or uh, overlaying loops on top of each other so it looks like they're kind of spiraling or chasing each other in a circle. These things are really cool to me because they're the sort of things you can only do with this medium. You could fake it and after effects, but it would take more time than just actually making yourself a physical copy. Wow. So it's it's fun. That's the part where I actually get to play around and kind of do little things that most people won't notice or care about. But I'm like, yes, I did such a good job with the dynamic spin on this one. <laughs> so that's that's where I always get to keep growing, which is fun. What is the adhesion, I guess, process like? Because I know that you toy with, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, etching and 3D printing, and adhesion. 
right? Yeah. So, well, just like a normal label. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like just normal printing. Yeah. Um, that is definitely one of the things that I love the most, uh, just getting to play with scale and all these weird formats. Cause don't get me wrong. I love the four inch label on the 12 inch record. That's like an iconic design to me. I love any opportunity I get to put something on, on wax. That feels so cool to me. But at the same time, um, my buddy Glowtronics, uh, they're a really awesome print shop that does a bunch of slip mats. So 12 inch felt mats that go on records. So I'm constantly trying to like tell labels like, Hey, but also what if you let me do something, you know, 12 inch full color? Cause that's just, it's just awesome. Yeah, It's always going to be bigger if it's cooler, you know, it's, it's big. You actually get to like, look at it, hold it up. You can sew it on the back of your jacket. If you don't have a record player, just like goofy stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I just want to do it every way I can. Mm. And, and to that point, uh, like you said about the etching, um, recently I got to do something on the new Bright Eyes record, which was a big time life hammer for me. But it was also cool because it was basically they had enough music for sides A, B, and C. But the fourth they left open for just a, an etching. So it was the same process as when they stamped the sound into the record. But instead of stamping that audio data, they stamp in a visual. So a lot of times you do this, like they do really cool um, line art. But for me, what I got to do is I got to work with the artist who did the cover art. Again, a very cool honor for me as a lifelong fan of Bright Eyes. And uh, take his kind of stick figure design. And we were able to work out this really cool falling animation that he sort of creative supervised. And I sent him the sketches and animation for. And we worked it into this sort of like uh, almost mandala looking spiral out of the center. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool because a lot of people probably just think it's, you know, an art piece that complements the cover of the record, which it is. But at the same time, the people who are going to put it on their, their turntable, watch it with the strobe, they're going to get their minds blown. Mm. So that felt really cool. Oh, same. And you got ahead of the last thing that I wanted to say, which was that there are some huge Bright Eyes fans on this team, on the culture nice. team. So Malika, awesome. who edits same. this, is like... Ooh, she was dying to hear about this. Becca, who is our associate producer, is like one of your biggest fans at this point. And <laughs> she's like a huge Bright Eyes fans. And so is Jessica. So huge fans. And they were all like, can you please ask him about Bright Eyes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was a crazy honor. I didn't, I didn't get to personally talk with uh, Connor or any of the other guys in the band. Sometimes I do, which is awesome. Mm. Um, it is really cool. And I have never... To this point, met an artist who was a jerk to me, which is great. That's great. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I also have to say, every artist I've ever worked from, I've never been never been stiffed. They've always worked to get you paid. Mm -hmm. Which shout out to all the musicians and labels who actually fill invoices on time. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Lots of love to you because we gotta pay rent. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and also thrive. It's not just about paying rent. It's about like yeah. putting your heart yeah. and soul into something and thriving due to it, like all that hard work. Um, yeah, but you know, even if you didn't get a chance to talk to the actual artist from Bright Eyes, they now, your work is now tied to theirs. And that is nuts. Yeah, definitely as a lifelong fan, that's like, still feel like it's a dream, <laughs> like waking up from some weird, surreal, awesome dream. Yeah. But um the whole team was awesome. Uh, working with Secretly Canadian was the label that put it out and that I talked to. And I, their whole design team was really awesome and supportive. Mm. We had a, a good meeting. They put me in touch with the guy that did the cover art. So we got to sign off on whether it was faithful. And I did get to hear that, you know, 
oh, and the band approves it. In my heart, I was like, ah, you know, fangirling a little bit, even though it's like such a such a technical business like sign off. I'm like, yes, I know for a fact that the band liked it. So. Heck yes. Congratulations. <laughs> Honestly, just yeah. how exciting to hear that all of this has evolved for you due to your hard work and dedication over the last four years. And you've been able yeah, to work you. with some of your your heroes in music and mm-hmm. and that you've also become a hero and somebody that people <laughs> fanboy and girl and fan person over. <laughs> <laughs> um, so final question is where can the cultured crew find more about you and witness your work either in person, uh, in shops or online? The best spot to see my work is probably on Instagram. Um, I know that I should have a more stable portfolio presence than that, but that's just where you're going to see the most up-to-date stuff. And I do have some pretty cool records coming out towards the end of the summer. Not my records, but I got to be on a cool record, I should clarify. (laughs) That is just Instagram.com slash Drew Tates. Tates is spelled T-E-T-Z, so it looks like Tets. Don't worry about that. You can call me Tets. I won't be offended. (laughs) Just spell it right. (laughs) Right. Um, Other than that, there is also my website, which is just DrewTets.com. I'm currently sold out of slip mats, but I am hoping to get another full color run soon, so... If you are interested, I guess, stay tuned. We'll see. <laughs> There's a lot stay going tuned, on. Literally. One, one day I'll be a better businessman <laughs> about it. Well, that's awesome. And this has been such a joy and so inspiring. Thank you so much for your time, Drew Tates, T-E-T-Z. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm always really grateful to talk about this weird little niche I have. So very grateful to you for having me and letting me uh, nerd out about records for a second here. Amen. Feels been my right around Yes! Do you know why I did that at the beginning now? It's like pretty relevant, right? Okay, y'all. Until next time, we are going to keep charging forward into 2021. Here we go. Keep it classy. Keep it curious. Keep it cooked. Visit culturedpodcast.com for show notes and subscription links. The Cultured Podcast is a production of my podcast production company, Frequency Media. I'm the host, Michelle Corey. Ina Garkusha is our fabulous producer. Becca Godwin is our wonderful associate producer. And we're recording in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia.